Hi, everybody. I'm Jordan Ostroff with Legalese Marketing, and this is Exhibit A Attorneys, where we interview attorneys and other experts around the country to talk about what it truly takes to be the Exhibit A of a successful attorney. Uh, today's episode is a little bit different. I'm doing this from on site in Nashville on vacation, so that's why you have the weird hotel room look uh, behind me. I have not been kicked out of my office or house. Uh, joining us today is Megan Robinson. Megan is our coach over here at Legalese Marketing. She works with individuals and teams to develop self-leadership skills that grow companies. She started her career in marketing, climbing her way through the corporate ladder at advertising agencies and Fortune 500 companies. But then after yet another business therapy session, Biz Megan discovered her true passion was in coaching and is now a John Maxwell certified coach. Inspired by her own career in corporate and entrepreneurial environments, Megan helps leaders approach uh, helps make leaders more approachable and achievable for everyone, regardless of title, position, or experience. And I just love the I think the first conversation I ever had with Megan. She talked about how so many of the marketing clients that she worked with, or now that we work with, needed that little bit more handholding, coaching, consulting mix, personal branding type stuff to make sure that they were accountable as there are a lot of things going on. So as part of that, today we are going to talk about overcoming the common growing pains that law firm owners face. Thank you for joining us today, Megan. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, what did I leave out on the bio? We want to make sure that we add. So actually, I am also the chapter president of ATD Chai the Association of Talent Development here in Chicago. There we go. So Breezy's in Orlando, I'm in Nashville, you're in Chicago. We've got the, uh, the whole east side covered here quite a bit. All right, so um, I'm getting a little bit of feedback, Breezy. I don't know if that's my end or if there's anything I can do about it. Um, we'll see if we can get that resolved, I don't know. Anyway, so our previous episode, that aired on Monday. That was with Corey Kelly at Legal Karma. Corey talked to us about how you drive a five-star client experience and then use that to secure five-star reviews. But enough about that. Let's talk to Megan today about overcoming the common growing pains that law firm owners face. And so I always think it's interesting because really law firms boil down into like four things. I know so for us, sales and marketing, I know you talk about those going hand in hand, obviously. And then you've got fulfillment and talent retention, which obviously also goes hand in hand quite a bit as you continue to grow the firm. So in the standpoint of talking about the most common um, growing pains that we see, I think we should probably do sales and marketing growing pains first. Well, I think those two things feed into each other, right? If you've got sales and marketing, and operations, fulfillment, team growth, you get great at sales and marketing, that's gonna cause a lot of growing pains on the other side, right? Because now you have a lot more work to deliver, you've gotta have more processes, you've gotta have more people, or you've gotta take more time to do it. And on the flip side, if you've got a really great team, really great processes, or you're a little too heavy on some of those, and your sales and marketing machine isn't working, and you don't have enough dollars coming in, for those people to be really active and busy and doing the client work that they need to do, you're tilted to the other side of the equation. So you're constantly in this growing battle, leveling up one side over the other as you continue to build the business. 
And especially for business owners and attorneys, you've got to, you know, one side of the equation you're a little bit more comfortable with than the other, but each of them are going to make you uncomfortable at different points in time. So I see this constant um, challenge between business owners and attorney of trying to get the work done, trying to get out there and do the sales and marketing efforts and bring in the dollars. And particularly when you're working with great organizations and teams and you get that marketing process dialed in, that's where the other side really sees a lot of pain. And Jordan, when we first talked, you know, you mentioned how marketing doesn't just happen in a silo is what I learned very, very early. It addresses all aspects of the business because when that marketing gets going, it's really feeding in what those people and cultural aspects are. And the people and the culture of the organization feeds into what your marketing message needs to say. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you're trying to jump in there. No. So here's the discussion I think I, I have with people so frequently. You know, you've got that attorney who opens up their own shop and obviously it's them. So they're doing everything. But when you have enough money or enough resources to really focus on growing, does it make more sense to grow the fulfillment side and make sure you're ready to go? Or does it make more sense to grow the marketing side first and make sure you get the leads coming in to then be able to bring on more people? And I always, I, I go back and forth on this because I think it's a little bit different for everybody, but I wanted to hear some of your insight on that, you know, pivotal, let's call it a Y point in the uh, creation of a firm. It is. It's one of those tipping points. And everyone wonders where they need to start or what's most important in prioritizing it. And I look for business owners on what are they strongest at? What do they have that's already working? And what happens if it does well? So most of the time, before you start bringing on more team members and people, you want to make sure that you have enough dollars to support them. So especially when it's an early business owner, that first person is like the most painful person to bring on because that money comes out of your pocket and you will almost almost always have to take a bit of a pay cut because you're used to collecting all the money and keeping it for yourself and now you have to pay someone else out of it so but if you build up that marketing side too much and you can't fulfill everything you then put yourself in a really difficult position. So I always encourage business owners to do some really important cost benefit analysis, look at some time audits to understand where their thresholds are so that they know, okay, this is the amount of money that I have to be coming in monthly or consistently in order to hire someone because then it makes sense. Or once I hit X billable hours, I need to bring in someone because I can't sustain that. And just knowing how much they're doing and monitoring that through the growth, that's where they're going to be able to make much better business-based decisions instead of feeling frazzled or frantic one month. Because that's how it always starts, right? They're like, oh my gosh, my hair's on fire. I need to hire someone. Well, and the thing, it's funny you mentioned the financial side of it, because I always see it from, I guess, the operation side, but it's the same issue. Like when it's just you, there's so many fewer policies and procedures and systems and software and everything because you know what you did and you know what you didn't do, but now you have to track them. And then also the financial side, you didn't have to worry about because you knew what was in and it was yours. And now you've got to add that for somebody else's salary. And so you've really got this two-step process of like two, I don't want to say totally new things, but certainly things that become that much more important upon that first hire. 
Yeah, um, I always look at the financial impact of it because it's taking the money out of your pocket and you have to be prepared for what that looks like or feels like. And you have to have enough vision for what where you're going to go and what that person's going to do for you. And so that's where you really start creating, what is my goal for the organization? What's my goal for this firm? What do I want it to look like? And most business owners like to say, I wanna be doing what my core genius is. I want to not be doing these other things. And so they try to feed them off as quickly as possible, which is great. You just have to know what the cost is for that and make sure that your sales and marketing machine is rubbed up enough to support those other efforts. Always going to be that balancing act. So from the standpoint of that, I guess let's call it that financial growing pain. Like what are some of the things that law firm owners need to do in advance of that becoming a problem? Like what are the, are there certain financial things to track or like how do they need to look at that? Yeah, I, I hate, people hate doing this. It is the bane of your existence and I promise you're not going to like it. <laughs> so if I can just tee it up that way and be like, okay, Megan, I know it's going to be hard, but I got to track my time. And I remember the first time I struck out on my own, I was like, I don't want to ever do another timesheet if I can help it, right? Because that's like the first thing, like that's done. I'm working for myself now. I know what it should take me. I don't need to do it. But <laughs> when you do do that, you know where that time is going. You know how long it's taking. You know how many clients you can serve. So you can start looking at your pipeline more strategically because it takes a plan. And that's where you really start planning out those milestones for your business on here's when I can't handle any more caseloads. Or if my goal is to have, and I actually had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, you know, a billion dollar firm or a million dollar firm, how many clients is that? How many hours is that? What's the team I really need to support that level of work and that level of churn in dollars? So mapping those pieces out from the financial and just really the mathematical side of it is going to help give you some of those break-even points. Um, so time tracking is the first and foremost thing. And that goes beyond billable hours. Time tracking how long you're spending on your marketing efforts. How much are you spending doing the sales pieces? How much are you spending on the admin portions of it? Because when you know where your time's going, you can see what you need to get rid of as quickly as possible. And you know, if I bring on five new clients or however, you know, 20 new cases, I can pay for that admin to do the 10 hours a month of the things that I'm doing because my hourly rate is 10 times more and I have the billable hours to support it. So you start trading off the time that you're spending on doing things for more higher value pieces. Yeah, I, I always tell people it's the... Uh... It's the Big Mac situation. So, you know, if you look at a Big Mac at McDonald's, they know what the bread costs, what the lettuce costs, what the burger costs, what the sauce costs. You know, and they also know how long it takes to make that, you know, to get the stuff shipped, to get it heat, I don't know, heated up, whatever, and whatever standpoint that goes from. Um, and you as an attorney, you don't necessarily have the cost of goods in the same manner of breaking things up, but you've got the time to open the file. You've got the time to do the work. You've got the time to drive to court. You've got the time to... You know, do everything else and during that case and so it makes it a lot easier to see where your time is actually being used where it's best used by breaking it down even if you're not doing billable hours at all it's still helpful to know how long things take oh 
those are the, the sneaky things, right? The non-billable hours that are still taking all of your time away. Those are the admin pieces, the thing for your company, the, the time you're spending on your website, um, <laughs> where I have, um, I used to work with a client who used to break things down like, this phone call isn't worth my time to figure it out. Like, I know I'm going to spend more time negotiating this one cost for something. It's gonna take me five hours to negotiate it and my time is worth X dollars. And the amount that we're negotiating for at this point isn't even worth it. Um, that actually came up. Uh, I was selling my condo the other day and my financial advisor is like, how long have you spent on this negotiating? Because it's gone for like five extra weeks. I'm exaggerating. He's like, look, here's your dollar per hour. Here's how long you've done it. You thought you saved yourself some money, but you actually just wasted twice as much trying to negotiate and nickel and dime out of it. Yep. And that. <laughs> The, uh, and, and the funny part is the more you do that from a business standpoint, the more you start applying it to your personal life as well, where you're like, oh, you know, it's, uh, I use Instacart. I've used Instacart since I had a child because bringing a like eight month old to Publix is one of the biggest pain in the butts. And I was like, you know what? Yes, it costs more, but it's safe. At this point, it saved me like 500 hours of time. Plus the aggravation of like him picking out 900 more snacks every time he's with me in a grocery store. So it, we've actually, I think, saved money. I think um, you, your eight-month-old child and I have a lot of similar strategy of going to the grocery store. Um, <laughs> ooh, look at this and that hasn't changed, but. But you're right. I mean, same thing with cleaning your house. How long does it take for you to do that? Is that worth it? If you put those, if you put that time back into the business, yes, it is worth it. And that's the other trap people get into is, oh, well, I don't have to do this anymore. So I have this extra free time and free time's important and you want to create balance with it. But just because you trade those dollars for time in some sen senses, you're not actually trading them back in others. So that's where you can start to get a lot of bloat as well. That's where you have a paralegal for this and you have an admin for that. And you've got these other vendors all around you and your billable time isn't there to support it. And so it's really creating that delicate balance of trade-offs. Am I actually going to get the value out of this? And is it the emotional value or the actual dollar amount? And how does that affect the future business decisions? So huge growing pain <laughs> and the biggest question. And it, it's typically done based off of feel, right? I feel busy, I feel overloaded, I feel stressed about this. And it's most likely because you're spending the time in the wrong places. Yeah. And it's always, it, it's interesting to me because, you know, you start out with that first hire and I think it's sort of easy to conceptualize what's a $250 an hour task and what's a $25 an hour task. And we can play with those numbers a little bit, but then as you continue to grow, well, then you're like, well, what's a $25 an hour task versus a $15 an hour task versus a $10 an hour task. And so that's where you start seeing those, you know, the, the intake, the file clerk, the legal assistant, the prior legal. I mean, you know, you come up with all these different jobs based upon the value of that specific individual problem. But at the end of the day, you have to really have that system to have it done consistently to truly know what is that simple of a task and what is not. 100%. 100%. And it sounds like we're getting super micro-focused on it, and you can. And this is where a lot of other business owners are like, I don't have the time and patience, and I hate Excel. So like hell, I'm tracking that, and I'm getting down to that minutia. I will say the more 
clearer you can get around the numbers and the time and the cost of goods sold, frankly, because time is your cost of goods sold, the better decisions you'll be able to make for that growth strategy, the clearer picture you'll have of what it looks like, what you need to succeed. Um, but you can also do it in some really blended, higher level ways as well. Um, I never want business owners to get intimidated with all these numbers and feeling like, man, if I'm not tracking every single two seconds that I'm doing and I have 50 different tasks, you can roll them up. You can get a little bit more um, generous with how you divide that time so that you do get a good gut feel on it. Um, and as you <laughs> go down the minutia, you have to find what works best for the team and aligns with the culture for it. So any other things you want to make sure we cover from that sort of financial growing pain type situation? I mean, I know we really hammered that point down, but there are going to be you know, some other specific things people may want to look to. You know what? I always look to from the finance, the financial point really feeds a lot of the others, because if you don't have enough dollars coming into your business, growth is really hard. Uh, plain and simple. Um, I always joke there's two ways that you can grow a business. You can get more revenue coming in or you can cut your expenses. One of those two is going to grow the business. Um, one of them is much easier than the other. <laughs> and one of them has more and more impact and more opportunity. So it will feed into those other aspects. But yeah, let's go ahead and move away from finances. Sorry. No, it's no problem. I, and I, I along those that last line, I have never seen a study for law firms that found success from cutting expenses. I've always seen it be growing revenue because, which is funny because then you hear like these attorneys talking about, oh, you know, I, I spent 10 hours negotiating with Clio to save myself like $3 a month on my thing, you know, my, my subscriptions. And like, but if you build 250 an hour for 10 hours, you have 2,500 bucks, it's going to take you 17 and a half years to save that. But anyway, that's the, uh, the separate conversation. No, it's a great conversation. It's the mentality too. It's that growth mentality and getting more sales, more revenue coming in will make up guaranteed make up for whatever other things have happened. If there's always more money coming in, the other stuff will work itself out, but it takes more money coming in to solve the problems with much more ease. Yeah, there's, I always like to say there is no problem a business has that can't be solved by more cases or at least better cases because either you can hire more people or you can charge more or you can turn down the cases that, that give a couple red flags or, you know, you can pass them off to somebody else and build a relationship that way. I mean, it's, it's the uh, bottleneck of so many issues. I know we said growing pains, but I'm going to say that's the growing benefit is when you do start growing and you do have that comfortability where you do start to hone in on who those best clients are. You're not just scraping for every single dollar that you can and not taking the cases. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And you know, you shouldn't have done that. And the worst is when you are tracking and you realize that you actually paid more to have that project done than you got, which can happen. But that, that's kind of that growing pain and benefit is you do get to hone in on who that target audience is, who your best cases are, how much you get to make on each one of those projects. So it can be painful because you will take those projects, those cases that you shouldn't have. I don't love using the word shouldn't, but it's 100% necessary because if you are tracking a little bit, you see that you paid someone to do the work and didn't actually get anything in return. Well, and I find that more frequently the lawyers I talk to, it's like that 
that gigantic $25,000 case that actually takes them $35,000 in work. You know, it's, it, usually it's not that $500 favor for a friend that, well, I guess the $500 <laughs> favor for a friend blows up in your face, but it's usually not that like normal, you know, $500 case or $1,000 case. It's that giant one that, you know, you get your eyes go wide and then you find out that you're being pulled way too much towards it and away from everything else. And that that's part project management skills that are really, really hard, <laughs> um, especially when you're that professional lawyer and you're doing everything and you've got kind of an obligation to do everything that you can at it. And how do you balance that resource allocation? And more importantly, how do you have really uncomfortable conversations with your clients and show that value and making sure that <laughs> you learn one, sometimes it's just a growing pain. You've got to learn of what you shouldn't be doing anymore. But there's also a lot of opportunity if done right. <laughs> Makes perfect sense. So let's move over to that, you know, um, hiring people, staffing stuff. You know, what are some of the common growing pains that you see come up in that area? Um, I think my favorite, I was talking to a lawyer the other day. They just wanted people that were self-sufficient, right? They want someone to come in, that magical unicorn, and just plop, here you go. You're going to know everything you need to do. Everything's going to run seamlessly. You are a mind reader. No problems, right? They're an expert. Um, and the biggest kind of surprise I'm going to say is what does training and onboarding look like? How do you get the things out of your head and be able to effectively communicate with that other person? <laughs> like you want to say something, sorry. No, I just, it's, it, you're, you're sharing growing pains that are near and dear to my heart, you know, and I think it's always funny because I hear so often about, you know, experience like, oh my God, this person worked for my biggest competitor. They've been doing this for 10 years, whatever it is. And then they come in and they just can't follow your system. They can't follow your guidance. They can't follow your plan, your brand, you know, whereas had you have taken that person who was 18, 19 looking for their first job, but had the right skills, genuinely cared about people had attention to detail, whatever it is that you need, they're going to come on board so much quicker and push your firm so much farther, not having that experience. Well, I think what's interesting about those two situations is when you mentioned, you know, the, the professional that has all the experience and all the background and they can't follow your process and you have done things differently and taking a little bit of that ownership and responsibility with it the expectation is that they should know it and that they should be experts at it as opposed to the approach that you take with the the young 20 something or the 19 year old kid that says oh my god thank god for a job you take a different mentality with both of those because the expectation is different for it so you're more willing to coach that other person and they're actually onboarding may take longer than if you were willing to coach and collaborate with the more experienced person. And that I think is the big misconception that happens there. The expectations are just set up a little bit differently and you're not going into it having an open mind and <laughs> willing to listen as much as you're willing to teach. So, and, and just to be clear, from my perspective, when I say your, I'm not talking about an individual person, I'm talking about the company's method because you will have people that will like, it is amazing to me how much you can get new ideas and new uh, tweaks and streamline and stuff from the staff that's actually doing it when you empower them to do so. But when the next staff comes in, you know, they have to follow the, the 
firm system. Otherwise, there's going to be so much strife. Well, and especially going from those first earlier employees, typically business owners, they kind of have that like command and control, like I'm in charge. It's my way or the highway. This is the way that we do it here. And you really jam down their throat the processes and procedures. And I, I don't remember where I learned earlier on that you can never document 100% of a process and procedure. And most people want to, they, especially when you have to be, have to follow so many pieces. If you can get, how do you train them to get the gist of it and to give them just enough flexibility, um, I like to say to be dangerous, but not, <laughs> but not, you know, threatening in any way, but really changing that perspective of here's how I do it. How can we do it? And that's really, really hard for the individual bonus business owner all the way up to the tippy top of the very, very large companies that still want to have people cater around them to their needs. And there are times, and it is nice to adjust to someone's needs, but the costs often in doing so, and I'm going to go back to the finances of it, are extraordinarily expensive, where you realize how long did it take someone to create that one report that you really thought you needed? And how much did that meeting cost, that all hands meeting that you have to have every single day? And all of those little pieces have a dollar amount associated with it, as well as a culture cost that go to it, where people aren't feeling utilized, they aren't feeling empowered, they are actively disengaging because of that, because they've been so pigeonholed. Yeah, and it's so interesting to me from the, the way that I do it becomes the way that we do it becomes the way that we do it without the attorney usually included in that we because you've got the you know legal assistant and paralegal and file clerk working together in how they do things um, that's how you that's how you truly grow a business exponentially is not everything has to bottleneck on you as the owner well and then they have a subculture right and they start getting some nuances and I had a business owner that had stepped away just like that and they really empowered the team and then they came back and they realized all of these things weren't happening and it was kind of that hot mess of what is going on here. And their immediate urge was just to take everything back and really start to micromanage the process instead of looking at where have we shifted, resetting that goals, getting clarity around it um, has a much bigger impact <laughs> and more lasting engagement because the last thing you want is a bunch of people that are just checking out. Or the flip side where they are terrified to do anything without asking for your permission. And I see this with, right? So you get the paralegal that's like, I don't know if to print this on one side or two sides of paper. And it's like, why did I have five emails about how to use the printer? I'm running a business here. <laughs> Can we speed some of these things up? And so sometimes that's a culture that you really inflicted on people. And sometimes it's, it's giving them enough encouragement and autonomy to make some of those decisions. <laughs> um, I really don't look at it as self-sufficiency anymore. I look at it as having good judgment and how you can support having the judgment of when is something important enough to escalate and when is something okay that I can make a small decision on. Because there's a lot of room there and a lot of confusion and a lot of inconsistency that gets set up that way. Well, it was interesting because I, uh, I, I it was Ryan McKean who shared this. I think he was talking about Tetra or, you know, Tranual, you know, one of the policy procedure things. And maybe it was a thousand views on the thing or 5,000 
or 10,000, whatever it was. But at the end of the day, it was like that many questions that got answered by somebody without having to ask somebody else. And so all of these points to figure things out that really cost you twice as much because you have the person asking the question, the person giving the answers pulled away from their work, you've removed half of that need and put that into a streamlined process. And then as you give people the freedom to make it better and better or have that flexibility in certain circumstances, the easier it is for those things to happen without needing to be a full team meeting or needing to pull somebody else in or needing to check with somebody. Yeah, how those communications really start to evolve on their own and the documentation that goes with it is crazy. Makes perfect sense. All right, so let's go to sales and marketing or anything else before we go that way. No, it sounds great. All right, so sales and marketing. The most common growing pain that I see, and let me know your thoughts, is that you know that business owner, that um, rainmaker at the firm who gets tapped out. Like they can generate enough work for five people but not for six or seven, you know, is that the most common growing pain that you see in that standpoint of that sales and marketing perspective? I think it's having the reliance on that one rainmaker, right? And the expectation. So it's getting it tapped out and it's a bit of a growing pain, but I think it's also what really caps growth as much is not, Oh, this one person can keep on just selling and selling or selling or they think they can. If only I didn't have to do all these other things um, and you start getting a lot of the excuses. And frankly, that's where I see the finger pointing happening between sales and marketing, right? Sales says, well, if marketing sent us better leads, then we'd be able to sell more, right? And then marketing points the finger at sales and says, we're sending you great leads. You just can't close them. And that's where you start to see that growing pain. And it's really more of that finger pointing and blame game rather than growth. Is that kind of what you're talking about with that? Yeah, well, so to that point directly, I am a huge fan of you have to have somebody who's on sales and marketing together because the questions that the sale, you know, let's call it, let's, let's use law firm lingo. Your intake person is going to get a bunch of questions from your clients. And those ideal questions become the right things to push in social media on marketing or to write blog posts about or to shoot videos about because those are the things that clients keep or potential clients keep asking about. And so there's a way to really merge those things where you are coming up with great content from real clients needs and also marketing in a way to overcome those client hesitations and really driving those two things together rather than siloing them. Um, so yes, I'm on board. So I think what I'm hearing with that too, it's more the pain of having those things siloed, right? And the more you get larger and larger, the more you start to silo people and that cross collaboration, the cross communication doesn't happen. And that's what feeds the sales and marketing process. That's what feeds the entire customer experience. And I've seen a lot of work done instead of doing that marketing or sales funnel, everyone loves to see a funnel, right? <laughs> it's more of that flywheel. And it's how is customer service or your, you know, fulfillment, working with the sales, working with the marketing. And when you're talking about that onboarding or those intake processes, those are the customer service points where you're getting insights from your clients. That is a sales and marketing activity. That's the upselling. It's setting the expectations for them. And that feeds what those other sales and marketing activities are. So they really start working in concert together, but instead we're built into this linear path 
that no one's following anymore. So when you're on your own, it's great. You're doing it all. You get the insights. You feel really connected to your clients. You know how to shift on a dime on what your sales strategy needs to be because you talk to dozens and dozens and dozens of them. When you get bigger, it's no one can do it like I can. I'm the only person. I am the most important person in this business. No one will care about this business more than I do. I'm the only person that can sell because I'm the business owner. And that is a huge growing pain to free yourself up and to let go a little bit. Yeah, because oftentimes there will be somebody who does it definitively better than you or different than you in a way where there are a ton of pros and cons and you can sort of, you know, I'm going to go back to the fast food example, you know, like you have the McDonald's and the Burger King owned by the same person. So, you know, you've got your, your marketing and maybe you've got another attorney working for you that's got their marketing where you're appealing to slightly different people, but still putting them into the same company. Um, and so there's a lot of ways to go about getting better based upon not everything being reliant upon you or knowing that you are not 100% correct. I think metrics really help with managing that and really understanding where the gaps are, the opportunities on some of the individual basis and overall. But even bigger than that is aligning to culture and values. And I know values probably seem a little squishy for, (laughs) and even that vision, right? So it's all going back to what are the values of the organization? How do we sell to people? Is this on brand or off brand for us? I also like to use that phrase personally. (laughs) My husband will say like, oh yeah, let's go pick up McDonald's today. I'm like, no, off brand, not my brand. (laughs) But making sure that the way every salesperson, every attorney, every person in your organization is performing their duties, is aligned to the values, is aligning and working towards the mission of it, that's where you start to get more of that alignment and you don't get these individual contributors that are doing whatever the heck they want. Um, And that's the big salesperson challenge, right? Individuals love to sell because they've got numbers to hit, quotas, they'll do whatever it takes in their silo. They'll send emails that you wouldn't approve or they'll approach things or they'll make deals that don't always work for the organization, but work for themselves. So making sure that you are always lining back to what that vision is and what those values are really keeps your salespeople in checks and balances and make sure that you're able to continue to measure the progress more than just the output that they do, but also make sure that your marketing stays consistent, right? It's always having that same voice, that same tone, that same approach that really lines up with the organization. Yeah, we had um, Molly McGrath on a couple say weeks ago, maybe it was a couple months at this point, but she talked about the benefits of like a all hands on deck once a week meeting And I love utilizing some of that time towards having everybody answer the same question about the firm. So maybe that's, you know, why should people hire us or what can people expect while they're working with us or what makes us different, you know, things like that. Because it's so crazy to me to see the difference in those answers between the marketing department, the sales department, the paralegals, the attorneys. And it's sometimes a good thing that not everybody has the same answer as long as they are cohesive you know, it's not a good thing when somebody's like, oh, well, we're the cheapest attorney, we're the fastest, we're the, you know, we're, we're the only ones who are right, you know, things like that, that may be totally different are going to be a problem. But it's interesting to see how people have their own little take on some of the things. And I think the, the better your culture is, and the stronger your culture is, the more those cultures will work together. 
I, I love that. The, some of the best examples of leadership I've seen is when business owners, um, I've gone through value exercises quite a few times, and they'll actually step back and let their executive team or let the rest of their team pick the values for the organization. And they'll almost do it blind, right? So the, the leader, business owner, lead attorney will write down what they think it is and everyone else will do their own and seeing how they match up or where there might be a little bit misalignment too gives you a lot of insight on how it's being <laughs> perceived and, and what that means for it. But just hearing those answers and creating that culture where everyone's listening to, to it not just for checking the pulse on it, but for creating that common language is really powerful. So it sounds like we're talking about, you know, knowing the right information, having the right people and having open lines of communication between everybody. Um, that sort of sums up what we've discussed, if I'm not mistaken here. I think you're, you're right on. I'm going to always, I'm always going to bring it back to vision though, Jordan, especially when it comes to growing pains knowing that vision of where you're going and what that looks like, that's got to be the guiding light for it. And I see so often when people don't have that clear picture and that's because they hired the wrong person or because they didn't have that picture, they didn't know who to hire, right? Or they didn't have that picture, so they didn't know what to invest in next, or they didn't have that picture, so they didn't know what those values were. They didn't know how to communicate it. So it really has to start with that vision, with that direction, so that those other pieces can build up. Well, it's like getting in the car and not knowing where you're trying to get. You know, in a, in a vacuum, the difference between going straight, making a right or a left is minimal. But when you know where you're going, one of them's correct. The One of them's sort of correct and one of them's totally wrong. We'll just call it a detour. <laughs> you can still get there. It's going to take you a lot longer and it's going to cost you a lot more in gas. And it's, you know, and that's not to say you can always change your vision as things happen, I mean, you know, especially COVID, you know, we've talked to a ton of people about that, but as long as you have some semblance of what you're trying to work towards, you know, if you're getting closer or farther away, you know, if what you're doing is working or not, excuse me, based upon how it impacts your closeness to your vision or your alignment to your vision. Yeah. And that happens for growth. You can have really unintentional growth or growth that goes in the wrong direction. And sometimes that means you have to change your vision, which is great if you want to do that. But if you don't change your vision, you keep going on that sideways. It may feel really good, but it's actually not taking you where you want to go. I like growth in the wrong direction. That is the alternative facts of business ownership. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll say, you know, it goes back to values and especially with the COVID example, like, you can have a vision that just totally goes sideways, but as long as you have the values that you stay true to it, you're still going to be able to get back on track and you're going to be able to recreate it. If you have growth that doesn't align with your values, it's not an alternative fact. Yes, it's still growth, but you could be taking on cases that you shouldn't or cases that don't align with what your <laughs> core yeah. competencies are or, or any of those pieces. Um, it can definitely go sideways. does make a lot more sense. Yeah. If you, uh, if you pivoted to starting taking family law cases uh, on March 12th of last year and then realize you hate them, but you've made more money off of them, that might be the wrong kind of growth. Yeah, you're still going to be miserable. And if your vision is to be less miserable in your business, maybe not the right type of growth for you. So as we get towards the end, you know, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we cover or any large topics of these growing pains that we've missed? You know, I think we've danced around it a lot. 
but a lot of these growing pains really come down to leadership. And I will always beat the leadership drum and how that business owner shows up, how they model that leadership. That's where the pains really start and not being aligned or not being clear on that and not having the team, right? If you're not showing up as a leader and you're expecting everyone else to be self-sufficient, it really won't get you where you want to go. So I always like to start with leadership. Everything rises and falls on leadership. There's a little John Maxwell for you, but it's really the truth. And it happens when you're in those growing pains. It happens when you're doing positive growing. It happens when you're growing in the wrong direction. <laughs> so if there's one common factor that's going to come down to it, it's going to be the leadership. And it's going to definitely start with you. And just and and just to maybe push back on that or take that a step forward farther, ownership and leadership are two different things or definitely can be two different things. There are situations where you are the owner and you will take ownership of things, but part of that might be appointing a leader or having somebody else run a meeting or hiring a managing attorney or an office manager or something along those lines so that there is leadership, even if it's not ownership. That's a great distinction. Um, and I really focus on leadership being influence. And so when it's not just that business owner that needs to influence their team, on what they need them to do. It's not just the business owner that needs to influence the clients. Every single person needs to show up with leadership because their influence is important. Where it's, it is the paralegal that needs to influence the clients along the way. It is the managing up as much as it is managing down. And ownership should always, I'm gonna say should again, should show up with leadership, but it's not limited to them to your point. That leadership needs to show up at the other points as well. But if the owner isn't modeling it because it does come from top down, it won't show up for the other people. And so it's always easier to point the finger at everyone else and say, well, they're not being a leader. They're not doing it. Sometimes it's a little tough to, to reflect on how you're showing up for those people, how you're modeling it first. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and to, I love that concept of looking at it as influence because to go back to that silo thing, you know, if you've got sales giving the right questions to marketing, and if you've got the fulfillment and the paralegals and stuff and, and the attorneys giving the right information, they are great. And then when they're influencing the clients with great service, then those clients become referral sources. Then those clients come back with more work. Then those clients talk up the firm and write great reviews and do video testimonials. And so you end up with this snowballing effect in a good way, the more that you have that alignment of positive influence on the client in their case. Yeah. And you can't do influence without leadership. Makes perfect sense. All right. So our next episode uh, is going to air on Monday. We're talking to Tracy Coonan about finding fraud and forensic accounting in bad partnerships. So much different topic than we've covered before. Tracy does a lot of expert witness work for people um, and going through forensic accounting. And so we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of the internal system in out of a firm between partners and finding some of those issues at firms uh, where things are not going well financially. So we're going to have a uh, another financial discussion, but with a different take. So, but Megan, I'm not going to let you go without that final piece of wisdom, that diamond nugget. Uh, we've been talking now for about 45 minutes. So let's say somebody takes nothing from this except what you're about to say now. What is your biggest takeaway, your most important feedback, the best thing that people can be doing so that they too can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? 
having a clear vision for your firm, clearly understanding what you want it to look like, feel like, smell like, taste like, all of the pieces, so that as you're going through those growing pains, you've got a North Star that's really guiding you. So then, all right, so then in 30 seconds or less, talk to me about that vision. I mean, what has to be in there? We're talking size, we're talking revenue, we're talking practice area, like what is, what is that vision? Vision is as far out as you can see. And so there's no perfect vision, there's no one size fits all. It's what are you imagining so that you can create it. So I'm actually uh, a big Buddha quote there, what you imagine you create, what you think you, I can't even remember what it is now, <laughs> what you feel you become something very, very methodical or, or thoughtful on that, but really creating what that picture is, whether it is the size, whether it is income, whether it's cases, whether it's location, whether it's how you are showing up on that every single day and how those pieces piece together. And really, I think it's the, it's a, I don't want to say it's a balancing test, but the more specific it can be, the more clear you can be on those things, the more other decisions become really easy because it's, do they fit my vision or not? Exactly. So those growing pains become much less painful, either because you know this temporary and you know where you're going with it and it's worth it, or they start disappearing because you're not having those pains because it's not fitting the vision. Makes perfect sense. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thanks, Jordan.